Welcome back to the Bearcat Bounce Podcast. And uh, Aaron Smith, who has been, last time we talked, it was right after Christmas. I gave you a Merry Christmas. How are you now? I'm going to say a, a Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a spectacular New Year's Eve. I know how New Year's Day went for you and most uh, people involved with the Cincinnati Bearcats, but happy New Year's to you, special 2021 blessing, and uh, hopefully it continues better than it has started for the Bearcat faithful. Right back at you, and did want to say that uh, we made it through our first season together. Um, yes. Obviously, I had our, our, little, our little toast and our, our little private pre-party here on the podcast. <laughs> But uh, no, man, it's uh, 20, I'm ready to put 2020 way in the rear view and uh, just keep moving on, especially the way that 2021 has started. It was a little, little carryover, if you will, a little hair of the dog. Very much so. Exactly. See, it was kind of like one of those things where you always see people on social media and people on the news and, and things of that sort kind of talk about how, oh, 2020 is finally coming to an end. It is, we're finally moving on from this horrible year. And then the first couple of days of 2021, you're like, wait a minute, it's still the same thing that was going on in 2020. So it's kind of a, a, a coming of reckoning for, uh, for the Bearcat faithful as well. But I want to say in a little bit different of a sense for the, for the football team, you know, we, we have to touch on it right away. I don't want to dive too deep into the game. Everyone's seen the game. I mean, obviously we'll touch on, on the big plays here and there, but you know, kind of the fact that when I was watching the game, I'm not going to lie, I'm an, an eternal optimist, as everyone can tell. Yeah. I, I am, I'm way too positive. Uh, blame it on, on my upbringing, if you will, if you want to. But this team, the Bearcat football team, the entire season, I kind of had that sense of everything's going to be all right. No matter what, through every game, the ups and downs, it kind of felt like they were going to figure out a way to win in the end. This was one of those games where it kind of had that feeling throughout. The yeah, end just did not go their way. I mean, if we're doing just broad overviews here, one of, the thing, one of the things I mentioned before we even played the game was I wanted us to look like we belonged. Right. And I think we did just that. No, we didn't score less than the 20, which we scored 21. Had we, had we kept them to scoring less than 20, um, that would have, uh, that would have won the game for us actually. But I digress. Uh, we, we actually looked, though, like we could hang with an SEC team. And you've already right. seen some of the SEC homers coming out on Twitter and saying things in the nature of, well, we didn't have some of our guys. We were playing with a depleted team, et cetera, et cetera, without even considering the fact that, well, Cincinnati was playing without their two All-Americans. They were yep. down a, a blindside tackle for half a game. They mm -hmm. were down a starting running back who – also has uh, made his intentions known for after the season. And uh, we were down a starting center. I mean, you're playing from behind the eight ball just as much. So I don't know, just happy to see that we could hang in there with one of the, one of the perennial blue collar teams or blue bloods or whatever you want to call Georgia at this point in time, as they've been mentioned in all sorts of cliche nicknames. Yeah, you know, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, the game kind of started off a little weird, you know, it was a little back and forth, kind of both teams feeling each other out, a couple big plays for Georgia. The offense really couldn't get anything going for the Bearcats, but then all of a sudden you have an, an All-American punter for the Georgia Bulldogs. He is an All-American, All-SEC, he was the SEC Special Teams Player of the Year in Jake Camarda. 
and he has an absolute chunk. I mean, just a, a punt that you and I and, and Chad could go out, and I think it would probably take us maybe the the 20th attempt for each of us to, to have a shank that bad without any pressure, even with pressure maybe. But that Friendless. kind of is what fueled – yes, that's that's kind of what fueled this, this offense to be able to get up and go. And I think the main thing that I saw from the offense, because like you said, you wanted to see like they belonged. I wanted to see the offense show that they belonged. And on that next drive, you saw just great snags on receptions by Michael Young. You saw Alex Pierce continue to develop his game. I, you know, I, I kind of saw glimpses of the offense that we know and love on that first scoring drive. It was a short field, had a little bit of momentum, a little confidence. They were able to take it down the field with a quick touchdown. And that's what I kind of said in my, in my mind. I said, wow, this, this team can, can possibly do that. And then that next drive, a 51-yard bomb to George Pickens. And that's just when you say in your head, okay, this is a really good team. Georgia is a really good team. Yes, yes. That's that's where Wiggins plays in. That's where, you know, Sauce. Ahmad Sauce Gardner weighs in. But still, you look at it and you say, wow, this is a very good team. Also, that, that, may not have been a, Bryant. that may not have yeah. been a catch. It was a catch. It was very close. I think he got underneath it. <laughs> I want to say he didn't. I want to say he didn't. It was a catch. I want to say he didn't, but I mean, it, it was a George Pickens acrobatic catch. And, it, it, and certainly not. The, the, right. The storyline coming into the game was how sticky was the sauce going to be on Mr. George Pickens? And that was probably the number one matchup that I was sad I didn't get to see because I, I wanted to see just that long, rangy, athleticism of those two players going at each other future nfl players but sadly we did not get that um but the interception by by kobe bryant just i i want to talk about kobe for a second because he he already has declared that he is coming back next season he kind of you know it was it was maybe unjustly or you know we saw how how difficult the wide receiver room was two years ago and kobe bryant was an absolute beast locking down the wide receiver room at camp higher ground at practices leading into the season, not this year, but the year before. And we, we dubbed it Maba Island. We kind of went and ran with that. And, and, you know, he kind of got, got picked on from time to time, but. Yeah. It turned out the wide receiver stunk. (laughs) Yes. yes, Turned out out the wide receiver room was horrendous, but which got a whole haul over. And we'll talk about that later today as well. But yeah, it, Kobe Bryant makes a play that he probably wasn't making last year. He he sat on the sat on the route, saw the ball coming, stepped through and made the interception. Of course, the unluckiness of of being down at the one yard line by Ty Van Fossen, but still, that's a play and now a player in Kobe Bryant coming back next year who kind of sees you know maybe he was getting overshone by some of the DBs that are on the roster currently. He could have a huge season next year and be on every NFL radar, you know, first-team all-conference player. Huge that Kobe Bryant's coming back in my eyes. My favorite part about that interception was not the actual interception itself, and it wasn't right. the, the dunk that people were like, oh, my God, can you believe it? He's doing Kobe It was a cool dunk. It was. It was Don't cool. get me wrong. It's still not my favorite part. My favorite part is the fact that it was like a national reckoning that, oh, there's there's a player for, for the Bearcats <laughs> named, yeah. named Kobe Bryant? Did he know that Kobe died this year? Like, you just saw the weirdest things happening on Twitter when it was announced that one Kobe Bryant picked the ball. 
but nobody could seem to spell his name correctly except the people who are paid to do so. Yeah, well, I mean, this is long, a long time coming for Cincinnati Bearcat football. I, they have always been first team all name. I, what, you take it back, Leviticus Payne, Silverberry Muhan. <laughs> you know, you've got Ralph David Abernathy IV. You've got uh, the Lyndon Johnson. Uh, the list goes on and on. Just another one to add in there, Kobe Bryant, Mike Tyson. You know, I, we're talking about some some great first team all names, but now Kobe's going to make a name for himself. Excited to have him back. But this is a game that, that just kind of always seemed like Cincinnati was the better of the two teams all up until that that second. You know, we did see that drive by Georgia that kind of showed, hey, the DBs really were missing two All-Americans at defensive back on that net, on their first touchdown drive. You saw a catch and run by Washington, and of course the George Pickens pass over the top, which was, you know, kind of falling on the play, but still having a fantastic game for the Bearcats. It was Brian Cook. But still, you kind of did see uh, some misses in what Sauce and what Wiggs would have done out there instead. Well, and kudos. Let's be, I mean, all the way real. For having yeah. two All-Americans out of this game, to, right. for everyone to step up the way that they did. I mean, you saw Arquan Bush flying all over the field. You saw mm-hmm. Brian Cook flying all over Beavers, Forrest, Kobe, to your point earlier. I mean, Brian Cook guys, was awesome. Yes. Awesome. I mean, awesome. these guys all did exactly what you're trained to do and what the cliche is where you, you're next man up. And it was yeah. just that. Like, we didn't seem to really, outside of a couple deep passes that were still maybe a step or two behind, there really wasn't all that much that we missed. And who's to say that somebody, a Wiggins or a Sauce out there, would not have also had the same thing happen. But the athleticism yeah. was Georgia. Right. Well, no, I think Brian Cook is going to be a fantastic player next year. I think he is going to be a, a rock on the defense because he, he leads with his play on the field. And he is a bone crusher, man. Some of those hits that he was coming up and making on the on the running backs toward Georgia and, and some of the blitz that he came through by the way, Marcus Freeman, we'll talk about him later. Just a great job drawing up numerous blitz packages that, that featured a defensive back. I, I love that. They kind of just use speed off the edge and, and, and just frustrate JT Daniels in the pocket. But some of the plays Brian Cook made, made just made me think, okay, next year we, we, we could be all right at the safety position, even though we lose two of the better safeties in the history of the program. So, you know, I thought Brian Cook was fantastic. And then Taj Ward, you know, we say it about the offensive line a lot. When you don't really say anything bad about them, that's a good thing. I think Taj Ward played the amount of snaps that he did. He didn't do anything that made you say, dang, it looks like we have a big drop off at the nickel corner position. I, you know, I thought Brian he Cook was fine. Brian yeah. Cook was the reason that there were a whole bunch of Georgia fans that were like, Cincinnati's bullying us. Yes. Cincinnati yeah. is smacking us in the mouth. A lot of that was Brian Cook Brian coming Cook. up and just laying the wood on people. He, I, I joked about it on the board. I'm serious. I'm scared of that dude. He left it like, all out there. 100%. He left it all out there. And that's what you're supposed to do yep. when, when you talk about that next guy up mentality. And he legitimately stepped right into the role. And it was as if we really didn't miss that much of a beat at all. All right. Well, you tip to the cap, obviously, Derek Force and, and James Wiggins. When you're behind those two, they kind of lead that path for you. I mean, Brian Cook's just coming in and showing, hey, I'll, I'll be here next year as well, guys. But I also thought, you know, Arquan Bush on that one fourth down where he jarred it loose 
from uh, from the receiver for Georgia. I, I mean, that's just another example of just laying the wood that this team was doing. And it, it really showed me how awesome this squad was. But, you know, Aaron, I got to bring up this one drive. The, the small amount of time that Georgia held a lead, 10-7 to 7 after Jack Podlesny field goal. Ugh, Jack Podlesny. The Bearcats got the ball back in, in a, a very crucial, you know, three minutes, 46 seconds left in the second quarter. They, they start a nice drive, get it going. You know, fantastic catches by, you know, you're talking about Jayshon Jackson. You saw a Michael Young 25-yard reception on a third and five where he climbed the ladder for it and looked like, like an all-American wide receiver, you know. Then you see as it, as it continues on, the one big play we have to touch about, have to talk about, was that pass completion to Jerome Ford. Ford is down, play is over, and then James Hudson comes into the picture out of nowhere, just kind of lowers a boom on a, on a Georgia player who is oh. outside. And, you know, it's just – it is – it reminded me of the Octavius Ellis against Purdue game where it's just, you know, what are you doing, man? You, you have been so great for us all season. What's going through your head here? Well, there was – I mean, obviously, we. I think everyone's beat this horse into the ground with it. I mean, there's no yeah. rhyme or reason for it. He lowered his right. head. He. I don't even know if he honestly could see the way he lowered his head that the play was over. But that's why you don't lead with the crown. Like, don't lower your head that way. But to see him go out on what is going to end up being the last play of his collegiate career and a very mm-hmm. short-lived, exciting season here in Cincinnati after right. all the drama that surrounded even his arrival here, you know, you mm-hmm. just – you really do, not to sound cliche again, but you just – you hate to see it. Yeah. Did you, did you get that yeah. text I just sent you? I did. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't know that I can talk about it, can I? <laughs> Did well, you check your phone, Brent? You got. You got um, I just. I sent. I sent the 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 pod a group text. Okay. Well, uh, I am I am potting on the phone. So go ahead and send it again. I'll be able to look at it. But I want to mention my favorite thing about Hudson during all of that was the fact that he was able to not kind of go into a shell after that happened. He well, I think- was able to, you know, continue on, and 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 he was cheering on. You know, his team, he was talking to Lawrence Metz on the sidelines, trying to teach him up, get everyone hyped. That is what shows me that, that you know, James Hudson is more than just someone that makes a play like that, gets ejected and then goes into a shell and worries about himself. He is a, a big-time team player and a crucial, crucial part of this team as well. It was kind of a trickle-down leadership, though, because as soon as the play happened, you did see Dez go over, put his hand on his shoulder. Like, it wasn't like one of those – Tom Brady, I'm going to scream at you and like just berate you for the bonehead play that you just made on the field. It looked more right. of one of those like, it's all right, bro. We got this. We're going to pick it up from here. We're going to take mm-hmm. it. It's okay. And it was kind of one of those like growing moments, if you will. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I think that's where you saw because he didn't berate him or try to embarrass him on the field or anything of that nature, you, you just saw Des being Des and just taking care of his team the way he has all year and honestly his entire career here. Yeah. And you know, the the craziest thing about that play is you go from that and you think, okay, wow, that's going to, that in itself will be a drive stopper. That will be something that, 
you know, we're, we're everyone's going to kind of kind of fold and and freak out a little bit and maybe settle for another field goal attempt after Cole Smith had one blocked a couple of plays earlier. No, I, my favorite play of the entire season happens next, and wow, you just saw two amazing players in Desmond Ritter and Josh Wiley connect on a pass that Des looked like he was a uh, you know a little little Johnny Football magic in the background a little. Little Desi football magic, little little Ritter radar, you know, being able to see something that no one else can see, and Josh Wiley having the wherewithal to find an opening and haul in a tough catch as well for that 11 yard completion where he kind of it was a 26, 28 yard pass that resulted in that 11 yard touchdown right before halftime. And to your point there, the tight ends had been playing fantastic both in blocking and in receiving at that point in the game. And after that point, I don't know if it was because of the way that Georgia schemed for it at halftime, or if it was just because the way that the offense was running plays, but it seems like we went away from the tight end on almost all facets of the ball after halftime. And to me, it was maddening because I felt like I was finally going to get to be up on my soapbox again. Like, see, this is what I told you guys. We need to go to the tight end more. And then we didn't. You know what I think it is? And I'm going to touch on it here very soon because the the first, the what, second play of the second half was that 79-yard Jerome Ford run where you saw Lawrence Mets have a nice a nice down block opening up a, a, a rushing lane and then Ford made one move, turned on Jets that we have See not ya. quite seen in a while. And, and 79 yards later, he is celebrating in the end zone. And everything is good in Bearcat land. But then after that, nothing happened. The the offense truly struggled. 32 truly, yards. Truly struggled. 32 yards the rest of the way. Thanks, Seth. The rest of the way. And before you know it, so I'm here there's, for. One, there's, there's one thing. I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to single it out like this. But if you look back on every single offensive drive, there in the second half, it was always having to do – with the loss of a keystone cornerstone rock left tackle. And that's, it's hard to say it. And, and it really stinks, really sucks to say it. There you go. But <laughs> the, the, the loss, the, the loss of James Hudson was just extremely felt there in that second half, especially on the offensive side. To go from the success that you had in that 79-yard run and to see Mets, he's, what, 6'9 and 350 or something outrageous. He's a massive man mountain there on the offensive Seven, two, line. 7'2", 450, I think, right? And two, so he is the mountain from Game of Thrones. Great. <laughs> so to just completely abandon the run, though, at that point, just blew my mind. Like, I don't understand why we legitimately – didn't really look to get the run going either in Dez's hands or otherwise there. I don't feel like there were, if it, if there were RPOs called, it seemed like they were all just, we're not really going to option the run at all. They're just going to be pass options. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm seeing something different, but it just, it, I don't know. No, you're right. You're right. It, it, it especially that next drive, the, the defense, man, how about that defense? Some of the best, plays that they've made all season and they were flying around that was the main thing that i took away was the fact that they looked like an sec defense in a game where they obviously were not the sec team and 
touch back on the offense. That that very next drive after you know Jarrell White was able to come through with the strip sack recovered by Ethan Tucky. That was after a fourth and five com- conversion, if you remember. That was kind of lucky for JT Daniels flipping one out to George Pickens. You go, Desmond Ritter sacked. Incomplete pass. Desmond Ritter sacked. And all that momentum that the defense was able to turn up with, with the great plays that they were able to make on the defensive side is just completely washed away. And then the defense comes back out, and they do it all over again. Just, just do a great job. And then again, that very next drive, it is a complete pass, a complete pass, but then it's a false start on Mets, and then an incomplete pass, zero runs to what you've been saying, Aaron. And then after that, the third quarter ends, you head to the fourth, and it's still that 21 to 10 comfortable lead. But in my mind, I'm starting to feel a little bit uneasy about it as they could just not get nothing going offensively. And then you see the strip sack on Dez, one of the first few plays of the fourth quarter. And then everything starts tumbling down with that touchdown rush for Zamir White. George is back within a touchdown. And before you know it, the offense just simply could not get anything going. Another touchdown for George, pardon me, a field goal for Georgia. And then you come all the way in to that. Well, first let's touch on the fake punt. Because I know Chad has been talking about that a lot. It is something that I guess James Smith has been working on for full four full years, if I'm not mistaken. And he finally yep. has been able to get it going. And he looked like he looked like a running back doing it. Just a, uh, a, a Australian football player, a little footy player out there, able to pick up that first down. But it was for nothing as they had to punt just three plays later. This could have all been avoided if you would have just run the ball with the actual running backs more than the punter. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it was, I don't know. I mean, that was one of those plays where, as we'll touch on as we get to the third and two, it was one of those plays where if it doesn't go right, everyone's questioning you the same way they did the third and two. And they're wondering, what the hell were you doing there? Why would you try and fake a punt there? And so because it went well, we all celebrated. Maybe people were jumping on their couch, a la Tom Cruise and Oprah Winfrey. And I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, it was one of those, it was one of those situations where you're over the moon because it worked. But if it doesn't work, Again, you're questioning everything. You're questioning coordinators. You're questioning coaching. You're questioning what the hell were you thinking? Much in the same way that, again, as we talk about the third and two in a bit, it's just one of those plays where it worked out. And so you don't give it really a, a second thought that way. Let's go ahead and go to it, Aaron. You're it's a minute 40 left. Zero timeouts for Georgia. Third down and two. First, they try and go with with the the play that drew Tulsa offsides in the AAC championship game. They were not able to get that quick timeout. They come out of the timeout, and I if, if you read Brendel's bites, there's there's a guy out there named Chad Brendel who, who wrote a fantastic response article to this game he called Brendel's Brendel's bites. Brendel's he did. Dad. Yeah, you can confirm. Thank you, thank you, Mister. And uh, I'm okay with the play call, and. Yes, you you could do hindsight looking at run it, and if you even lose four yards, you punt it off and give Georgia a minute left. So before we even get into like the, the real meat and potatoes of this, I right. do want to point out one of the other things that's been pointed out 
everywhere, both on Twitter and right. on the boards, the 10 seconds before you actually snap a ball as the clock's yeah. running, the 14 right. seconds when you snap a ball as the clock's running. Some right. of those situations can be avoided if you're trying to play to the weakness, which clearly was Mets on the line, and they were trying not to get any more false starts or penalties or anything of that nature. But yep. you are running the ball. None of it matters. And I know, like, I, personally, I don't agree with the call on third and two. I understand that Young was open and it was a poor pass on, on Ritter's part. But, again, if you are establishing a run in the second quarter, in the second half, as you did at the very beginning of the second half, I still just – it's beyond me how you completely abandon it when some of the issues that you're running into is getting the clock to keep running because you have someone continuously false start – catching false start flags on the line. Uh, you know, I agree. I agree. And let's let's talk about that run by Jerome Ford. It was the and and hat off to to Kerry Hoffman for this longest run allowed by Georgia all season since like and, 2000. And listen, yes, yes, the the large the, the longest run in the last 17 years. That's crazy. But this is the number one rush defense in the country. Understand when, against, you're at, when you're looking at third and two. You know what I mean? Or yes. you're trying to run the clock? Yes. No, I, I agree. I but, just don't understand how you completely abandon it the entire half. So with with that bread and butter play that they have ran for years, that you know, Josiah DeGuara is making a living off of off of what he's been able to do with some of those plays and, and the different branches off of that play, that you know, Dez has become the AAC offensive player of the year because of that play you look back at a, a host of his touchdowns are those rollouts where he keeps it and runs in for a score he had also not only did he have michael young deep a little bit more difficult of a throw probably a little bit across his body he had alec pierce wide open as well it, and it would have picked up a first down would have would have gone forward but also des he also could have just ran it. That's also an option in this run pass option that they rolls out. He could have kept it and, and ran the football. You know, Luke said, Luke Fickle said in his post game presser that it was not a design pass. You know, it's they didn't tell him to go out and throw the football. You know, so and I know we're playing. No, I know I'm putting you, you in a tough take. spot. I was just gonna say I know I'm putting you in a tough spot with woulda, coulda, shouldas, and I, I don't right. like to necessarily play that game, but yes. I think let's hear your take. I I think it was supposed to be a run. And I think as Des was going to that option, Michael Young broke as wide open as a human can break. Wide open. And if Des throws the ball one, either quicker or two more on a line, it's it, it's an easy. I mean, it's easy. It's it's. He gave it too much touch. Uh, he gave it. He. I. I think. He, I think in his. It happened as fast as it happened. Mm-hmm. I think he one. He, I mean, you don't want to mess that up when you see it break like that. Right in your head. Um. The closing speed of that defender was crazy. That's where. That's the crazy. difference. Crazy. Because yeah. it, against every other team that they played this year. That, that is a completion. A touchdown, probably. Yeah. Probably. So, well, yeah. Well, that's the SEC but, speed for you that everybody talks about. Well, it's, it's all American, you know. <laughs> it's it's and, Tyreek and the re- Stevenson. The, re- the recognition of Stevenson to come off of Wiley 
and get over there as fast as he did to Young to make that play. Guy made a play. Like not even looking. Yeah, I mean his back completely to the the play. All he saw was all he saw was what we saw. Michael is what Des saw. Michael Young wide open running down the field. Here's and here's here's who made the play. I can't fault that. I can't fault that. No, I can't. can't. When when a player like okay, so Tyreek Stevenson, two four seven sports graded him ninety eight. He was number twenty overall player in his class the second-rated cornerback in the country in the 2019 class. He's, you know, like that's where you see the talent discrepancy, like Chad said. That's completed against Memphis for a touchdown. That's completed against Army for a touchdown. But if I haven't been clear enough, I just want to make sure that it's known that my position is not on that play. My position is just – right. Why were you not running Overall. the ball more in the second half? Period. Because I don't. I think you keep yourself out of that situation if they're not trying to defend the, the pass the entire second half. Yeah, I you know, I see what you're saying as well because Mets is is better suited as a rushing blocker as well. Um, you know, some questions cannot go answered. Maybe it's the fact that you have the AAC Offensive Player of the Year and and Desmond Ritter. You are you're you're missing down Dokes, and you're down. You, yes, you starting. are missing Jared Dokes. You are missing the you know Jake Renfro out as yep. well. And we have seen throughout the season Jerome Ford, who who had a spectacular year. I'm so excited to see what he has to bring Agreed. the next couple of seasons. But he did struggle with fumbles at times, and this is not saying that he was going to fumble at all if if they started to give him more of a workload. But in a game like this you probably want to trust a little bit more Desmond Ritter and, and put the ball in his hands, have him try and make plays. But yes, a, a couple of runs here and there would have sufficed and definitely should have, should have happened. What it just kept the, the defense honest. You know what I mean? Like right. when all you have to do is, is scheme for the, the pass, as it becomes more and more obvious that you're not going away from the pass. I don't know. They're, they're pinning their ears back and, and coming all out. Uh, it was tough to handle, but. After that, third and two happens. Then Georgia gets the ball back. We all know what happens there. And, you know, a, a 53-yard field goal Whew. made with, you know, with little time left on the clock. I, I mean, I kind of compare it to a, like a like a half-court shot as time expires type thing. Well, and I think, I think one of the stats they threw on TV was, A, that was his first game-winning field goal either of the year or of his career at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and B, I mean, 53 is crazy in an NFL game. career career. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he was 50, 51 long was coming into the game. Well, I'm not even talking about the longest, it, just the fact oh. that he had never even had a game winning field goal. Well, because I mean, he, Rodrigo George, Blankenship had just left. So well, I was gonna say Georgia too, like normally is just kind of beating the brakes off people. Right. Right. There's not I, really I mean, an opportunity for, for a game winning field goal, but. Is is the worst crazy. thing is that he he came when he was trotting out into the field. I, like, and I hate to say it, but in my mind, I was like, "Wow, he's he looked confident. This. He looked so confident." And it was just like the whole, you know, since he cursed type feel to it as well. Just uh, you know, just looking at it, I was like, "Wow, this one's actually going to go in." Yep. Actually, going to go in. It was clean off. Uh, it was clean right off his foot. Like as soon yeah. as he kicked it, it was like it's good. I mean. 
Dude just hit a 53-yarder. Yep. And then the bounces were going George's way so much that Trey Tucker couldn't even play the next the kickoff. I mean, it was like, right. you know, just just bounced right over his head. I, you know, it just all the bounces were were going against the Bearcats at that point of the game. But in the end, Aaron, they looked like they belonged. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think there's a single argument that anybody can make outside of just not liking Cincinnati or not respecting the 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 group of five. Yeah. You know, and I mean, we can touch all we want to on, you know, more about this game, but the general consensus around the country right after the game was that, yes, this is the performance that was needed to be shown from a, you know, G5 school to say, which, which, which we don't know what power five P5 on it. I'm on Luke Fickle's side with that. Screw the P5 and all this G5 stuff, but the national pundits were all saying, yes, this was the performance needed to show, Hey, Bearcats belong. Teams like this belong. Well, this is a this is a special team, and they deserve a shot just like everyone else does. It also doesn't help that our conference just kind of shit the bed. Sorry, Dan. In in <laughs> all of their bowl games, you know, I mean, you had Tulane getting waxed. You had Memphis losing, or Memphis. I'm sorry, Memphis is the only one that won their game, uh, beating FAU. Um, right. But but UCF got destroyed by BYU. I mean, legitimately, every opportunity we had. Aaron, I but Tulsa, they gave up a fight, didn't they? I mean, they they played a game, but it, it was three. Did, it was. Three did you not three. see what I did there? I I did. I was trying to ignore how embarrassing that fight was for all parties involved. Golly! But you know, I mean, it was the fact that you have so many opportunities as a conference. So, and and Cincinnati kind of outside of outside of Tulsa, I believe. Um, you know they were they were the second to last ones to to put or did Tulsa play before or after? I can't. Even Tulsa remember. played before. Okay. Um, they played on uh, New Year's Eve. On okay. But yeah, so we had the last opportunity, and you know, with everybody saying how overrated we were because our wins were inflated, et cetera, et cetera, because of the conference, blah blah blah. You don't play a tough right. schedule. Again, we played with them, and you know, people can make the argument that I already touched on it make the argument that Georgia was playing depleted. So were we. And yeah. I promise you on a team that only had two All-Americans, both of which I believe were second team All-Americans. Uh, it depends depending on, on where you look depends, at it. Yeah. Correct. Um, Cause you know, sauce was first on some ballots uh, on right. for some awards and same with Wiggins too as well. But you know, it's, it's just, I promise you that this team is going to miss an All-American or two much more than George is going to miss an All-American. Right, right. Yeah, and that's because, yes, there there is the depth that has been established at UC, but it's it's not, you know, you aren't going to substitute an All-American out and bring in a five-star. You know what I mean? It's also recruiting classes. I mean, of the last four years, Georgia has been in the top four for every recruiting class. Three, one, one, two, three. Okay, I, I thought for, there was a four in there, but so top three. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, absolutely and, insane. So yeah, the the depth is going to be different. In, in recruiting coefficient, they're they have the best roster in the country. Right. If you look at if you average what's on their roster, like the recruiting rankings of every school in the country, 
Georgia has the best roster. In the so country. again, you know, that just solidifies my point for Cincinnati to be down two all Americans, as opposed to, you know, Georgia being down a couple guys the same way, it's going to hurt Cincinnati much more than, than it hurts Georgia. Yeah. Except and then it didn't No, they stuck around with them. And, and, and the main thing is James Hudson goes out, you bring in Lawrence Metz who Metz did not play much this year no. like at all. And, you know, obviously because you have two all league caliber tackles in front of him, but you have him going up against a first round draft pick in Aziz Ojolari, who already committed to the NFL draft, who is going to be a first round draft pick. And and you tell him I wish the people that, that covered Georgia got it right. Because that yeah. dude was supposed to opt out, damn it. I know he was. Yes. They they said it initially, then they brought him back. Then they said, oh no, he's gone. It was a uh, he was one of those back and forth. But you know, the crazy thing is everyone keeps talking about how you know so many players opted out for Georgia. It really was not that much. It ended up being around seven, you know, five, five starters, seven overall players, a little bit of depletion on the offensive line, but still it, this is a team that is still pretty much at full strength. And when you add in JT Daniels, who now everyone's kind of pegging Georgia as as the, the kind of the darling for next season because of the way that JT Daniels is able to close out the year and the way that you know Kirby Smart now has an offense that clicks. And if you look at their roster, they're all really young as well. I mean, this that is makes a team me that's going to be right up there. That makes yeah, me I know. wish that Sauce and, and Wiggins had been out there even that much more. I know, I know. I know, but still, Kobe got a, got an interception. Kobe Bryant's coming back. I I, I dare you to find me. Yeah, I I dare you to find me a two corners and a nickel corner as strong as the three that the Bearcats have. Arquan Bush is he? Sure, he gave up a couple plays on deep balls, but still, I, Arquan Bush is fantastic. He is a, a an elite nickel cornerback. To clarify, that was JT Daniels' second interception of the year. I'm not sure what it was for Kobe, but okay, okay. Kobe had, I'd say, four maybe off the top of my head, but I can look it up. He had the two against USF. He had this one. Had another one against ECU. Rough, rough guess, but still, you know, three of the best cornerbacks. He he likes coming back. You have two safeties, and you know Javon Hicks was another one where I was interested to see why he didn't play as much in this game. I think maybe Hicks is more of a, a safety that yep, for and more of a safety that you would play against the pass happy offenses of the AAC when Brian Cook really goes against the more brute rushing attack of Georgia. And then, I mean, you're looking at this defensive backfield. You lose two of the best safeties in program history, but when you have those corners coming back. And the way that Brian Cook looked last Friday, I, it's, it's hard not to look at the, this defense backfield and then be extremely optimistic again for next season. I mean, it takes at least 24 hours of digesting the loss before you can right. be that optimistic about everything. Yeah. Um, but as we're playing people being optimistic card, how about how excited these recruits are all over Twitter? Oh, awesome. Just shouting from a mountain for all of those who can hear that they're coming to Cincinnati to play for championships, plural. And, and the main thing is the Savage Seven, who, you know, obviously that that crazy core that all of a sudden is committing and everyone's saying, who is the Savage Seven? 
And all of a sudden, everyone's like, wait a minute. Like, like Mumu is completely bought in. You're seeing Melvin Jordan is, is retweeting and, and tweeting almost all the time. I think Melvin, he's more bought in than Mumu at this point. Melvin Jordan just tore up a camp in Florida. He just yeah. looked like the best player there. Hey, you know, this, this is these are situations where people are buying into the situation. They're buying into the program. And if you look at it, you know, we we've kind of been looking at who's coming back, who's who's leaving, a couple of defects. Even though some players are leaving, you know, like a James Hudson is obviously the biggest hurt. So the, the offensive tackle position will be one that we're gonna really have to focus on. But you uh, look yeah. News yes. on James Hudson, actually. Uh-oh. Uh, just been officially invited to the Senior Bowl. Wow. Reese's stepping is, up. Is he going to play? I believe so. I mean, I it, they wouldn't invite him if he wasn't going to come and play. Is, uh, is, he, is he the first non-senior to be invited to the Senior Bowl? From UC, I mean, the only there's only been one other junior that's yeah. yeah, and Mike didn't get invited, so yeah, he no. would be he would be the first underclassman invited to the Senior Bowl, which <clears throat> for a guy that doesn't show up on a lot of draft boards right now, getting that that opportunity to go to the Big. Senior Bowl is going to be massive for him. He's yeah. going to have a chance in front of all of the NFL coaches to show what he can do, and as we know the most precarious position in football is left tackle. Right. It's right. the hardest one to get right, even more so, I think, than quarterback. Well, we've certainly seen I Cincinnati, agree. the Bengals, struggle to find a <laughs> legitimate since, since they let the second best left tackle in franchise history walk. That's accurate. Uh, who's still playing. That's um, correct. But he, we won't get into that. No, we won't. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, but but you the touch to start on, your own. To touch on what you brought up, though, the fact that Michael Warren started this trend last season for the very first underclassmen to jump, and now we're even having conversations about multiple guys jumping. We're talking about guys being as drafted on some mock boards as high as first day, second day. Yep. This is crazy. Yeah. Just to see how evolved this program has come from the – dumpster fire that one Senator Tommy Tuberville had it to where it is now under coach Luke fickle. It's just, it's amazing. You know, Desmond Ritter and my J Sanders, the two players definitely still on the fence. Um, Chad has been dropping some tea leaves, hopeful tea leaves. And, you know, I, I kind of think that the way that Desmond Ritter is, and, and I've seen some posters posted as well. I mean, this is a quarterback-heavy class. You know, you're talking about two elite quarterbacks at the top, two wild-card quarterbacks that people are saying are kind of have the potential to be elite right behind them. I mean, it's a deep quarterback class. Next season is kind of kind of open. Yeah. It's, it's JT also, Daniels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, JT Daniels is going to start to pick up smoke. I mean, he's also, you're – He's also got a kid on the way, though. I mean, that's got to be a factor in whatever decision he makes one way or the other. Right. I don't know how many of these other quarterbacks that are going into this draft are going to have be kids as mobile as, <laughs> as Desmond. Ray. Um, you know, I mean, that's another thing to consider is, is if you're looking for a pocket passer, as opposed to, I mean, you can get your game manager types. I mean, we've, we've seen that right now. We're seeing it in Miami with Tua. No one, Tua was taking what two overall. Yeah. 
the, the grades I've been hearing for Ritter uh, vary between second and fourth round, uh, trending up if he were to come out this year. Uh, but I, from what I've been gathering, uh, I would say both he and Maje are leaning towards returning. Now, that doesn't mean they've decided to return. It uh, doesn't mean they will return. But leaning towards returning, I just posted on the board as we've been recording this. Um, from what I've heard, Luke Fickle was in Louisville uh, yesterday to meet with Dez and will be in uh, Jacksonville Wednesday to meet with my my guess is Greg Scruggs will probably be with him on that trip. Greg Scruggs has definitely uh, been a mentor to my since he's been here. So that's what I'm hearing. You're also only one freak accident away from everything being upside down. Yeah. And you know, kind of like what, uh, what Chad was mentioning about James Hudson getting invited to the senior bowl. And we saw it last year where only one team needs to really fall in love with you. And yeah. And, and the Green Bay Packers fell in love with Josiah DeGuara. And Went way him, higher than anybody. Took him, yeah, took him in the third round, kind of blew everyone away, kind of, you know, draw some, drew some, what? Wait, some what ire. are you doing? Yeah, yeah from, from you know, the Green Bay Packers faithful. And then, of All course, the talking from, heads. From like, draft analysts, talking heads, yeah. yeah. So, you know, for James Hudson, only one team needs to fall in love with you at the Senior Bowl. For Des Ritter, if, if, you know, one or two teams is really starting to get in his ear and tell him something, you know, there's everyone is hungry for a good quarterback or a good backup situation that can mold into a starter down the line. So, you know, definitely watch out for those. But as Chad just mentioned, it's good to hear that the, the whole team was sent home. I imagine Chad after the game um, or something yeah, everybody's, those lines. I, I don't think school normally school starts this week. Um, coming out of Christmas break, but I don't think they start until next Monday. Well, how many yeah. classes are even on campus right now as opposed to not many, but I mean, just in general where the, they, they actually have a week, I think this year to be able to go home and like chill and decompress and, um, you know, just get away for the first time since really July, late June, mm-hmm. early July since they kind of entered their own bubble, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everybody's everybody's back home right now. Coaches are off, obviously, except for Luke, who is uh, meeting with uh, juniors to, uh, to, to get them up to speed on, you know, the draft process. As we're talking about campus, I know I saw that uh, Melvin Jordan had recently been to campus for a visit. I'm assuming that was unofficial. Um, but yeah, they, they, you have to come up with your own money and right. cover it. You can't meet with the coaches. You can't do anything. I was going to say, are they doing um, anything in regards to visits yet? No, or You can't. No, not until, so. April, not until at least April. Okay. Everything is still shut down um, through the NCAA. So, uh, but guys can come up. We saw that with um, Drew, Drew Donnelly. Right. Yeah. He came, him and his family came up on their own dime and, and check things out before he committed just to, to get a look. I mean, you can't, you can't prevent a kid from sure. coming to town, <laughs> like, yeah. but they, they just can't do anything in, in, in any official capacity uh, with anybody on staff. So white, white lightning brought drew on up and a couple days later, he is inking his name to join the Bearcats. So, you know, you touched on it as well, Aaron, about how numerous 
numerous recruits are, are singing praises, saying that championships are coming. A lot of the returning players as well are, are tweeting saying, you know, preparation starts now. This is, you know, we are ready. It, well, just, just love that forward momentum. Go ahead. You got to bring up the Justin Harris standing. Yeah. Right really in the cool end zone. Um, you know, that, the fact that it, that was caught by one of the Georgia fans and he had enough wherewithal to take a picture just to say, Hey, we respect the hell out of you for coming back to the field and watching. And then, you know, you saw Clemson do the, the same thing when uh, they lost uh, a bunch of their players came back and, and watched the, the trophy presentation. Um, but Justin Harris did come back and, and watch the entire presentation uh, without shoes, as was pointed out by plenty of people. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it was, it was kind of a, a cool moment to see like the kids hungry and he, he wants to be a part of that and wanted to know what it was like and kudos to him. Uh, you know, and who's going to be the one that steps up has great off season. And before you know, it's making an impact next year. You know, you saw Dylan O'Quinn obviously would be one that I would point to and say, just really honed in during the off season, shown the, the entire staff, what he can do. And before you know, it, he's starting, he's, he's a really integral part of that offensive line, but you know, you can't talk about all these recruits and all these players mentioning how, how the forward momentum and, and, you know, the next season starts now and things of that sort without mentioning one of the best recruiters on the team, one of the, you know, the obvious one B to the one a on the coaching staff. And that is Marcus Freeman. So much talk about him already other potential defensive coordinator roles that at big name schools, Notre Dame, Texas, Auburn, LSU, you know, I'm I'm kind of in that approach where Chad has voiced this quite a lot. And whenever someone asks me about it, I say the same sentiment of where he just constantly met, Marcus Freeman constantly mentions how, you know, work where your butt is, A of all, which I thought was awesome. It's B of all, it's you know, he he wants to be in a, a position to ultimately become a head coach. And if that is here in Cincinnati where he has developed obviously a big enough name where he's at right now, the entire country knows who he is. Why not go to these conversations, just have meetings with them, just, you know, get continue to get your name flowing throughout different institutions, different conferences, things of that sort. But if you have something amazing going on here in Cincinnati, and if you think this could lead to a big, you know, coaching position at the head coaching role, why go anywhere other than where you're at? As any of us in a regular Monday through Friday, nine to five, know, it never hurts to network yourself. Right. Ever. And I, I like to think that he's doing just that. You know, I think it's time to see where maybe this coaching staff is different and actually stands behind what it is that they say, as opposed to just offering lip service and then bouncing out in the middle of a banquet dinner. But, you know, with, with all that being said, um, ching, ching. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just I'm very interested to see where this all goes. Uh, I know that all of Bearcat Nation is going to be kind of on the edge of their seat wondering who's coming, who's going as far as the players go. And, you know, kind of the same thing with the coaches. I know there's been yeah. plenty of talk about, you know, after the stall of the offense in the second half against arguably one of the best defenses in the entire country that maybe Denbrock needs to go. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a lot of just knee jerk reaction and, you know, I'm just really curious to see how these next couple weeks go. Yeah. And, and if Chad was able to uh, flex his professional gonads, if you will, uh, last season, he, he might know a thing or two about the coaching carousel 
and uh, keep your eyes peeled with with him. He's bringing you up to the date details and updates on that. So um, not a better source on the beat other than that when it comes to this situation. But I also listen to so many podcasts with Marcus Freeman. I listen to so many interviews with Marcus Freeman, and he constantly, the thing he continues to reiterate is, why not do it in Cincinnati? Why can't we do that in Cincinnati? He tells all the recruits that, you know, why can't you win in Cincinnati? Be different. So, be different, right? Be different. And he just built a home. Yeah. The, the recruits aren't looking at like two, two and a half million dollars a year. Uh, That's what I was about to say. I was about he to also say. just built a house, though. I mean, hey, you can, you can, you can absorb that house. I get that house. house. I get it. You, yeah. <laughs> when you triple your, well, what he could do, what he could do is he could just, that process that can't be fun, though. And then wait for when he comes back as a head coach a couple years down the road. The house would already be built and ready for him to move into. Man. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it would be something to just that right there because no one can offer the amount of money that are in these assistant pools out of Texas and in LSU <laughs> and in Auburn. I, I No one can. I mean, 20, that's, $24 that's million. Coach, dollars. That's, that's head coach money. Luke Luke makes Luke makes three point five. Polini was making two point three, two point four. Yeah, I mean it's just so. I mean it's it's he's making Polini was making what Luke was making before he just got his his extension, right? And he was bad. That, they they don't care. Like they, boosters. And, and, but, I mean but, it's one there's thing, a whole there's a whole lot more of them down there. One thing that I don't think will happen is is Freeman goes to a another G5 school as the head coach you know maybe one that's like located in 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 a state that's just east of Ohio that the Bearcats beat pretty soundly last season uh they wear green and I think they're a thundering herd but anyway I don't think he's gonna ever go that route so I think I- well, I mean, his name was being mentioned as Illinois head coach. I think there's a better chance oh, yeah, he of him a, going to – He was a finalist there, yeah. I think there's a better chance of him going to Illinois as a head coach before he goes to Marshall. I mean – Marshall doesn't make sense right now because it, if you take a job like that, you're going to have to yeah. – Well, no, it's – it's it, 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 we're even we're talking best case. If you take a job like that, best case, it's going to take you two to three years to really put your stamp on things, and right. he's on a – path much faster than two to three years right now right right like even if he doesn't leave he's on a quicker path that's my point even even from cincinnati he's on a faster pace than going to take over and 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 i was talking to uh tweeting back and forth with jason williams from the inquire who's a marshall guy like myself um you know and there's that defensive like marshall's a better job marshall's head coach is a better job than dc at cincinnati and it's like well 99% 99% of the time, I agree with you. But right. this is the 1% where this is a dude that has has become elite yeah. yeah, as the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. So he doesn't have to, to become elite anywhere else. He's already been named defensive assistant of the year. He's already been a finalist for the Broyles Award. Uh, you know, he's already at the top of the food chain where he's at now mm-hmm. going to Marshall to spend three years building a program doesn't make is a sense. step back. It, it just, it's not, it doesn't fit with the timeline uh, of where he's at professionally right now. And that, that's not a shot at Marshall. No. Um, 
I think uh, that's your school, man. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm not taking shots. And I'm just no, 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 no. I, I mean, I'd love to see. You know, there's been there's been a couple names tossed around uh, for that job. Byron Leftwich being one of them. Yeah, which would be. Oh, I love that. That make that make perfect sense. Uh, I've but, heard, but yet I've, again, does he want to leave as the OC? He's on a fast track to be an NFL head coach. Right, exactly. Uh, I mean, he could be the head coach at Jacksonville if he, he if he so pleases. But um, if, if he's okay with Shad making all the moves, but I've I've heard Chad Pennington's name kicked around. Oh, well. why not just bring back Randy Moss? That's from the past. Hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Talk about I, recruiting. Let's go. Let's Giddy let's up. go. <laughs> but no, I so, so I think it boils down to simply the amount of bags that Freeman will be offered at some of these places is just crazy. Um, he has voice that he wants to be a head coach. Well, one of the best ways to continuously just shake hands, like you said, get out in front of people, yeah, move, you know, just. Hey, we, we met with Marcus Freeman. He, he's a great guy. He's got a great philosophy. He's got a great, great vision on, on what he wants to do as a coach. He didn't accept our offer, but I tell you what, if, you know, if your job opens up, I think Freeman would be a great, great one to look at. Well, unless, well I you think know, that's you, kind of what this is. Let's not you kill know ourselves. You, LSU already has some smoke all around that entire program right now. So, And, and Orgeron is a defensive guy. He's yep. not going to let Marcus come in and just have run, carte blanche. Run, run things, right? Like, I, I know people think Brian Kelly's like a micromanager. Uh, offensively, he is a micromanager. Defensively, he don't want anything to do with it. Hey, Marcus, he don't go. Go Tigers. We're going to send a plane up there and get you. You're going to come down here. We're going we gonna <laughs> to show you how to. Show you how we do it on the bayou. Down at the bayou. All right. We gonna, you know, we gonna, we gonna get some crawfish. We gonna get some gumbo. <laughs> you know what's really good? Uh, it's, it, it's not really good, but you know what's really good for a good Coach O uh, impersonation? Lots of cigarettes. Yeah, right. Because, because you can't get your boys down there. You know, lots, lots of years of uh, yeah. nicotine in your system. If you know what I mean, you know what I'm saying. With it, but but, nah. but but we we on you 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 gonna come down here. You gonna we gonna show you what it's like down here on the bayou. Go <laughs> I'll leave Go it. Tigers. I'll leave it to you guys with that one. I I, I uh, <laughs> can't quite get that that deep. It's, al- it's also why I do a great Lou Brown from Major League. Right, right, yeah, you did. You, you did that you last may, week. Yep. Yeah, you may run like maze, but you hit like shit. <laughs> it's the same. It's in the same register. Yeah, it's, it's just perfect. The the accent's a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of different accents, uh, let's 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 turn the accents in the room a little bit. You know, let's go from from this football team transition over to the basketball team. Do we have to? I love when you find a good transition point. We need to. We, we, we need to. I didn't ask if we need. We don't need to do anything. We need Speaking to. Speaking of dumpster <laughs> fires, man. So, so Aaron, I I lead you off with this question. The the one team that this team seems one thing that this team seems seems to be lacking is is a player that can can get the ball and go get the job done. Who on this team can do that? Well, I will disagree. He's just not your best player. 
But Jeremiah Davenport is not afraid of the moment. He, is he not can't. He's not afraid to shoot the ball. He's not the guy. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know you, why Keith he's, have that same mentality. He does have that, but Jeremiah Davenport is not answering the question. You don't throw the ball to Jeremiah Davenport, go ISO on him with the ball screen and ask him to do something. He can catch and shoot. He can rebound and get stick backs. But he, as good as he has been, and he's been phenomenal, but I think people mistake that because he's been putting points up that you can just throw him the ball and have him create offense. That's well, as long not as he shoots game. it right away, because he's m- much better that's, at catching shoots. That's, and not, trying that's to not how the final minute of a game I works. Understand. I'm just it, saying it's it's just it, nice to have a guy that isn't afraid of the moment, and I still think that Keith is afraid of the moment. No, I don't think it has anything to do with being afraid of the moment. He's, I mean, he's averaging 15, 16 points a game. It's yeah. not afraid of the moment. It's that you can't ice, you can't throw him the ball and say, Keith, go get me a bucket and count that he's going to be able to get you a bucket. That's right. not a knock on Keith. It, it's what we, he's Robin. Yeah. He's Robin. There's no Batman on this team, at least not yet. If there's a Batman, he hasn't developed, like, he they haven't he doesn't he didn't he doesn't know the suit exists yet. Right. If there's a Batman on this team, well, he hasn't been fitted for it. I think, I think he Tari hasn't put on the mask. The Tari wants to be that guy. I think we all. Tari know. can't get you a bucket. Aaron. Correct. Well, because he can't make post shots, which we already talked about. In the, that in has the nothing show. to do with somebody getting the ball at the top of the key, coming off a pick and roll, and getting you a bucket. But I think Sean so- Kilpatrick, Troy Copain. Yeah, we don't Jared have Jared Cumberland. Cumberland. We don't have one of those. I, everybody knows that. But who's that on? But that's that, why they're having the problem. Is that on the team, though, or is that on Coach John Brandon? You don't know what you have until you have it. Troy wasn't that guy instinctively. SK right. was. Jaron was. But those are two of the top ten scorers in program history. Well, and it sounded like, from everything that I've read on what Mix said about SK, SK wasn't even necessarily that guy from the jump. Well, that's because he couldn't dribble. Well... He had to develop that. Understood. And like the, Troy had to develop. Right. And Troy had that. a season the year after SK left. Troy had a season where he struggled in those role in, in that role. He I'm wasn't not, ready for it yet. I'm not trying to make the argument that Jeremiah Davenport is that guy that no, is going I, but, to be the alpha on this team. Well, he's, he's not that. But he's well, also we were talking about it and you brought him up. Well, I'm saying he's just not afraid to shoot. He's not afraid with the ball in his hands. He'll he'll even if it's not a high percentage shot, he'll put it up. The problem is they've got too many guys taking high, low percentage shots. All of in them the final take minutes low of game. percentage shots. Correct. That's yes. why they're all shooting low percentages. Mm-hmm. We're on the same team here. Friendly fire. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just, I, I'm just clarifying what I'm, what I'm talking about when I say that because I, I think too many people don't understand what I'm, what I'm getting at when I say it. Right. That this team to this point, and that's not to say it won't be developed, but that's also part of having a very young team is that yeah. guys haven't fully developed into their roles. That guy's supposed to be Keith on this team, well, but mean, he I doesn't think, have that in his game. It's I not you, who he is. You get some glimpses of that though. When you see like some of the passes that Mike Saunders can make to Tari, if Tari can get a, a clean look at the basket or a breakaway, like a, you know, you, you see some flashes of this, but it's just not to where we've been spoiled. Let's be completely honest. We've all been spoiled for damn near a decade under the house that Mick built in the newly renovated Fifth Third Arena. Three decades we've been spoiled. 
Well, I mean, that's not even bringing up Coach Huggins, who everybody still thinks is apparently coming back to town. Like, <laughs> Christ almighty. But let it go. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just – it's it's maddening because we, we saw so much in, in what Mick built here, and everybody's mm-hmm. so quick to want to throw Brandon out to the Wolves and be done with Brandon and move on from Brandon. And I don't know. I, I kind of flip-flop a little bit back and forth because I try to put myself in his position and think about – you know, how long does it take to put a program together when you don't have all you have to your name is NKU? I, all Mick had to his name was Murray State. All Bob had to his name was Akron. Well, Mick was here, though, as an assistant, too. So, John, John was an assistant at a couple of good places, too. VCU. <laughs> I'm just saying, people at least around the program knew of Mick. Yeah, they hated him. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, some did, and they never got over that. They didn't – you want the brutal reality? They didn't have the money to hire a, a big-name, experienced veteran coach when Mick left. Because you just rebuilt the entire Fifth Third Arena. No, that, that doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm sure it's because they were getting ready. Budget? They were getting ready to dump a bunch of money into the guy on the seventh yeah, floor in the, the Winter Center, <laughs> not the sixth floor. I think it's the other uh, – yeah, the other sport that we just finished talking about. But, you know, I, I want to bring this up again. Yes. What I just asked that question, who, who's going to be that one that you give the ball to in late game situations? Because in every single loss this year, except for the trip to Athens against those daggone Bulldogs, if you beat the Georgia Bulldogs, you're going to feel the Bulldog bite is what I kept thinking in my head, both in the football and the basketball games. But I digress. This team has been within one bucket or with a lead in every single loss under four minutes in every game, in every single game. That I just want to know. I just want to know how many more accents you have in your arsenal, sir. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I don't have Coach O like you guys do, but you know, you, you know, it's uh, other than that, we just keep song, on rolling. Son, 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 son. But you ain't you ain't smoking no cigarette on day to be at home. Come no, talking about don't come now, bro. You gotta come down. That's to buy you. We show you all about that's, the crawfish and the shrimp. That's true. Come, come down to buy you. We'll come get down you back. You. We'll get you. That's true. We'll get you three, four cartons of Newports, son. <laughs> we'll get your we'll get your coach old accent working a little bit better, son. Well, well, you know, speaking of down in the bayou, uh. The the drive, and as he's falling down to the bayou, Brandon Rochelle flips up a shot and gets an and one call. When he wasn't touched by when anyone. When he was not touched, when a travel could have easily been called. Whenever you see a play like that, it's like, what? Well, it was, and it all of a sudden. Like, it was kind of like the phantom call prior to that where you had the push off where DeJulius is the one falling backwards and getting the, called on the On foul. the full court press, yeah. yeah. But but this one right here, it was tied up at 63-63, tie ball game. And if you actually look at it, the probabilities flip to the Bearcats to win the game with that momentum tied at 63, and then this play happens. You know, you saw the same thing against South Florida where they, they go on that magical run, and then an offensive foul gets called on. You know, it's a rap, raffleless Ivanowskis. And who? Never it's a wrap. It's a wrap, Chad. It's a wrap. Never, never heard of him. <laughs> and it's a wrap. But <laughs> this this is what where you see. What is this foul call? With a minute 14 left, 
you you will get a three-point play against you in the most unopportune way earlier, a couple plays before Tulsa is completely bottled up underneath the rim and they somehow find a player underneath for a land. Uh, like these are just the the unlucky things that have been happening to this team throughout the entire season. And I'd be, I'd be more frustrated with the foul call if we hadn't been in foul trouble the entire season to point. Like no I mean, one touched the guy. I no one, he was not even touched. I understand, but at some point you have to close out games, and we yeah. have found a different way to blow out a game. Every game that we've lost has been close. Well, and then and, another thing that this pays to is. Brandon Rochelle was having himself a ball game. He oh, was the best player on the court. And, and as we've seen 100%. in the past, when when it gets into crunch time, when Jaron Cumberland is on or when Troy's on and, and attacking aggressively, when SK is on and attacking aggressively at the end of games, they seem to get a little bit of an opportune whistle. They, you, they seem to be able to get to the free throw line quite a lot. When your reputation is a team that fouls, and I'm sure the referees do some homework the same way you do as a commentator. So when they're doing their homework, they see that Cincinnati fouls a ton. You got to wonder how many of these whistles at this point going forward are going to be a little preemptive because of the reputation that Cincinnati has established at this point in the season of mm-hmm. being a team that fouls. Yeah, they are. And they are a team that also lets the opposing team's best player seemingly have a strong game as well something that needs to really be, be honed in. I, you know, there aren't many teams in the AAC that have like one go-to player. They get bullied, man. They, they, they end up being playing to the other team's face every game. Yeah. So I, you know, it's, it's one of those where you wanted a lot of changes to happen positively heading into this game. You know, obviously the Mamadou situation, we saw that get all worked out. You know, we we did see Chris Vogt make a field goal shot, make a shot on front of the floor, you know, good for that. And he even made a free throw as well. You know, but you you aren't seeing the the forward momentum that you want. You know, I is it time to see more Zach Harvey? Is it is it time to, you know, go go with the small ball a little bit longer and and see I I think this team is at its best when they are speeding up the oppo- the opponent. And even if you give up a couple of, of quick buckets, even if you do turn the ball over a couple times offensively, speed up the opposition. Try and get quick buckets yourself. Get Keith Williams out in transition. Get Zach Harvey out in transition. You know, get get, get these good plays. I I mean, I don't know. It's you, just you wrote I think you wrote these exact words that Brandon is a guy who constantly goes to uh, the definition of insanity and doing things over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Maybe it wasn't you. It was somebody on Twitter. Um, but they, they brought up that Brandon continues to bring that up and then continues to run vote out there when we play best in the small ball and the kind of quicker pace that we tried to keep up with with Georgia and, and all of that. When you have a guy who's clogging the entire lane and can't play at the pace that all other four players are playing at, Maybe it's time he's the guy who came off your bench. And you hate to do that to a senior, but if it doesn't fit your style of play and you're trying to win games, you got to win games regardless of your loyalty to the guy who came with you from NKU. 94 feet both ways. Ugh. I didn't like when he said that. And and chance favors the aggressor, right, Chad? Those are the two. Give me give me the two pillars. Let's 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 go out there and do it. I mean, that's that's what he said. I, 
And at times, you are not going to win basketball games in a half-court set without an alpha dog. You can win basketball games with a collection of really good complementary pieces and a 94-feet-both-ways game in, in a game where chance favors the aggressor. I mean, that it, this team... This team has the pieces. It shows the the lights from time to time, but it's just it is frustrating, especially when when certain things don't go their way, and when you kind of just see those certain possessions where you're like, "Wow, that that was a that was a rough possession there. We did not really get a good look, or we got a turnover, or things of that sort." They've they've done a good job shaping up the turnovers, but it just seems like the lack of an alpha. You've got to cover that up with a different type of approach. And I think as we've seen speeding up the game, 94 feet, both ways and being extremely aggressive defensively and offensively can lead to that. So if you were trying to find more minutes to Zach Harvey for, for Zach Harvey, which I agree should happen because he's been actually playing very well over the last couple game stretch here. Um, and, and he's doing it off the bench. Where do you find the Zach Harvey minutes? You know, we all wanted to see a more aggressive Mike, uh, Micah Adams was, right? We wanted to see one that would be able to do more than just be that spot of outside shooter. I, you know, I, I kind of want Micah to maybe go back to that a little bit and have Zach take on that role of more of the creator. I, I don't know. It's, it, it'd be awesome to see these aggressive, you know, four-guard lineups with Zach Harvey as, you know, one of the bigger guards on the court with a Keith Williams and you could right still now, have... Zach's not even being aggressive. He, he's being a spot up shooter, and I mean, he's right. not attacking. They're not. He look when they looked their best on Saturday was the start of the second half. That first segment of the second half, they were downhill that entire they segment. They were that entire segment, and then they got away from it. And I mean, they picked the pace back up when they pressed, but. Right you're not just going to press teams to like, that's not, you're going to play good guards. You're going to play teams that can beat your press. That can't be all that you, you do. Can't be. Right. But you need to do it more. I, I think they don't do it quite enough with the aggression. They, they change up the defenses a lot, which I think is they more probably more probably than John has done in, in his career probably. But I, I like the different looks defensively when they bring out the one three one and when they when they go with that three two and then when they throw in the full court press and then go back to a traditional man, but at, at some point you've got to really stick to one that's kind of giving you a boost. And I think it's 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 the press and live and die by it. You know, make, force feed it, try and you know, and, and if it really is beating you up more than what they've been able to do, I mean, the first half they they gave up forty one to a Tulsa team that scored 44 all last year. And had not won in Cincinnati since 1967. I mean, see, that's stuff you guys, I, that doesn't, I don't care. Ugh, it's just a gross stat to lose. I understand. It, it, it had, I don't like no crowd. I, I worry more about the losing than I, the night, the 1967 thing. I don't, well, I don't I mean, care about good that. Away if you're not losing. Correct. Yep. Stop losing. Finish games. Well, I mean, find talk, a way. We talked don't last week about. Up, don't keep giving up these 8-0, runs constantly right. throughout games. It goes like, right. That's what we talked about last week, though, where as far as the identity of the team and the role playing of the guys, and it seems mm-hmm. that John, Coach John Brandon, continues to 
beat around the bush in answering these questions. And I still don't think he has what, players. You want him playing. to throw guys under the bus? No, but I just, He's I, not I going to, I understand that, but I, what, I don't think he has an identity for this team. And it's I don't because think he doesn't have the right talent. He doesn't have a guy. What, what do you want him to say? I don't know. Look, it's, look, we, we, we really, we we're, we're doing what we want to do. We're, we're all these games are close, but I don't have anybody on this team. I can count on to get me a bucket in the final three minutes of a game. It's it's gone past frustrating for some fans and myself included to where it's, it's I, maddening. I, it's I get that. But, but when you can't let your frustration take you to a point of like, I'm not trying irrationality. To no, I, I'm not trying to run them out of town. That's not me. I no, told you. But you're, you're, you're you're letting your emotions get you to the point of, of past irrationality or past like thinking rationally. Now you you know when you get emotional, you want I want the coach to explain this to me. Well, I mean I've explained it to you. Like I'm telling you exactly what the problem is. He can't do that. I know. I think he's, he's not he... going to say. Look, you know we really were hoping Keith would be better this year, but he's not. Well, he's still defining roles, I, you know, and when you don't have the main role of the team, the alpha role, you don't have someone that can go in and hone that. It's it trickles he down also, and makes it difficult to find other to put people in their other roles. Here's here. And here's the other thing that I wrote about in the bites. It's not just that you don't have a Jaron. Since you're also replacing a tray, right? Yeah. Because a, you, you don't have that guy that in that final under four minute media huddle that says, sorry, Dan, this we're going out and getting this win. Right. And and then goes out and does it. You might have somebody that says it. Well, yeah. And yeah. I think he hoped that rap would be that guy. And obviously that didn't work out, but yeah. I mean, think about how many times they last year, they won close games because Trey just said, I'm not letting this shit happen. We're not yeah. losing today. Right. And and, and going, who is that? The closest you want it, you have, you want it to be key. To well, I was gonna say the closest thing you have to a tray, I think, right now is Davenport, but that's not gonna be the guy that. But you're asking a guy that hardly played as a freshman. Correct. He's not gonna finish the, a game for you. He's not gonna close out a game for you. Not yet. No. I th- like eventually, maybe. But at this point, no. They're just all. It, uh, it's a lot of raw talent. And Chad, the, also going back, it's a lot of young back guys. even a few years prior, where as you said, when teams go on these nine, you know, seven zero runs, nine zero runs, eleven zero runs, you we now, I, I mean, you look at Chris Vote took two shots all game. It, you you think back of a Kyle Washington, where you know if, if we're in a dry spell on offense, just toss it down to him a couple times, and he's going to get you a bucket one or two times. You know, we we don't have a drive stopper either where we can just slow things down, get it in their hands on the post. Even, you know, Tari Eason obviously didn't have his best game in this, in this one, but he is trying to be a little bit more aggressive. That's what you want to see. But just right now there's an all facets. There's not someone, as you mentioned that you both of you guys mentioned where you can just give the ball to in the post or on the outside and just have him go and score, you know, in, in defining roles as well. You saw, David Julius get moved off ball a little bit more in this past game. And, you know, it's, it's just the whole defining roles. No one has a, a defined role at this, at this juncture from that's what because, I can tell. That's because nobody stepped up and owned roles. Right. Like those right. roles aren't, def- you don't just, the two roles we're talking about 
Yeah. I think when you say defined is uh, when you say defined, that's like the coach says, this is your role. Executing. The two roles that we're talking about, guys have to claim. Yeah. Claim them. Guys have to say, I am your bucket getter. Give me the fucking ball and let's go. Sorry, Dan. Right. Well, you saw Jaron do that from freshman year where he was not afraid to go just straight into the lane with the ball in his hands and just nobody, I think you see, you see a little bit of that in DeJulius at times, but he also shies away a little bit other times. Um, I mean, I, you see glimpses of that in Keith too, but it's just, nobody's (coughs) just at any given moment going to be that guy. What was interesting to me on Saturday is he moved DeJulius off the ball a lot. I think he's trying to free him up as a scorer. I think he's yeah. trying. We saw Mike Adams runs Woods run point guard more than we've seen him run point guard all year. And we saw Mikey in running point guard when Micah was out mm-hmm. and DeJulius was playing off the ball. I think John's at a point where uh, David's probably trying to be too perfect playing point guard, being a facilitator, yeah. being what a point guard is supposed to be. And, and that's in his brain. Not shooting. Enough. I think, uh, yeah, I think they're just trying to get him, like, free him up a little bit to be a little bit more aggressive, to be a well, little bit more confident. It seemed like he was actually taking better shots. Like, he, he was taking higher percentage shots this past game than he because had Because he been. wasn't he wasn't ball dominant. He was playing in the flow of the offense. He, w- he wasn't trying to Force a shot up run the, the team. Bringing the bringing the ball up the court, right. He's not trying to run the team. He's trying to play. He's trying to score. I think that's a change, a significant change that we saw Saturday that I didn't have see a whole lot of people talking about. Um, you know, that's, that's significant for this team going forward. If, if we're looking more at, because what that tells me is he's trying to get DeJulius into one of those roles, right. To, to, to put the ball in his hands. Cause he's probably in terms of getting you a bucket, he's probably the, the most capable on the team. Um, but you got to get him. You got to get him there. You got to coach him up. You got to fight through that. You got to get him the experience. You got to get him those late game, late minute reps. And he's trying right now. Well, uh, six six thirty four hasn't from, worked yet. Six thirty four from three is never going to work. <laughs> and that's what the Julius is shooting for the season. So, well, you know the the chances speed up real quickly. Thursday road trip to SMU, arguably the second best team in the conference. And then, yet again on Sunday, another road trip to Wichita State. So, to two quick chances to either try and resurrect the season real quick, or I don't know. The the uh, I'm going to leave it at that because I I could <laughs> I could just you know twirl around in the daisies and let you guys know how I how we I hope it goes. The, the but uh, I, you know, it's just I will I'll All let right. that be. I mean, I just think that. Yes, there needs to be someone who will be able to, to, to kind of take ownership of this. And if, if they're able to do so, they better do it quickly because SMU and Wichita State. And you're starting to also get that feeling where every team in this conference is definitely pinning this year as the the year to get back at Cincinnati. The year to now have a chance to, hey, we have been beaten up by the Bearcats for years. Real bad. Yeah. So let's let's take our revenge this season, especially when there's no fans in the stands, because yes, it's awesome to go into opposing teams, you know, arenas and, and win in front of their fans. But when it's just mono mono and it's just 
our team versus your team. No outside influences other than what's going on on the court. Probably makes it just that much sweeter for the for the players as well. So or going up against a lot of factors. Going up against a lot of factors. But Thursday at SMU, Sunday at Wichita State, man, a back-to-back gauntlet after you lose five in a row. So we'll see. We'll see. Things things need to look up. Um, any uh, any recruiting before we close out, Chad? We always close with with hopefully a happy happy note. No, nothing immediately forthcoming. I think okay. you know uh, Drew is working on a pair of twenty twenty football twenty twenty two football hot boards to reset where things are mm-hmm. uh, with with uh, recruiting in both the uh, offense and defense side of the ball. So look for. Uh, 10 names on offense, 10, 10 outside of the commits. Right. Those are, those are, you know, on the, on a, on a different page right now, Right. but 10 new, 10, not new necessarily, but 10 names to watch for on offense, 10 names to watch for on defense. As we mm-hmm. start getting into uh, the, the 2022 recruiting class heating up, um, we'll continue to keep an eye on the transfer portal. I, they're going to be looking for a tackle in the transfer yep. portal, especially Hudson's gone. I expect Harper uh, at some point to follow. So they will be looking for tackles. I know everybody wants me to answer all of these questions right away. But as I had to <laughs> remind somebody today, we need content between now and the start of spring football. So right. we'll get to like, we'll get to it. I promise the answers well, you we, seek we've are been coming. Spoiled, Chad. We've been, we've all been spoiled. I know it's just that it's just that we're all at Bearcat journal too good at our jobs and everybody expects answers immediately. Right. And sometimes, you know, it's a, we're, it's a business. We got to stretch things out and uh, you know, that's, that's the necessary move. Just it's, it's let us get through this uh, unprecedented period of seniors uh, deciding if they're going to stay or leave. Yeah, it's that's crazy. been that's been wild, man. And and what's been wild? I put this on Twitter yesterday. How many times a guy declares, and you're like, man, he was one of the best players in school history at his position. Yep. And then yep. an hour later, somebody else declares, and you're like, man, he was one of the best players in school history at his position. It like this group. Yeah. It, it's remarkable when you think about like the place that they hold uh, right. in Bearcat lore. Yeah. You, you next week you want to do some. Uh, 2020 versus 2009. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. <laughs> and I think we'd be able to. I get, had. I don't dude, think Aaron I had, wants to, but <laughs> no, Aaron's out. Um, <laughs> I literally, and uh, uh, most people know we've had him on the BCJ pod before. Craig Carey's my guy. Yeah. Uh, Craig Carey and I probably exchanged 50 texts on Friday, right. uh, arguing over 2009 versus 2020. So and? we. Uh, uh, I think I won because yeah. I'm good at arguing. <laughs> I mean, I think it's uh, I think it is a, a valid argument, but it is one that uh, kind of <laughs> swings one direction when you look at just just truly eliteness. Well, and I think it's it's completeness more than it's eliteness. Completeness and eliteness. Well, I think that the the defense, I don't know that I don't know that completeness is a word, but the uh, complete the complete uh, completeness has to be a word. When you, I think 2020 has a more complete team than 2000. Yeah, they do. They do. Wow, good job there, grammar man. But yeah, it's uh, 
you kind of saw the whole thing as well. Three yeah. phases of, of football play out this right. entire season. When in 2009, you kind of saw certain times. There were, you know, a phase and a half, two phases. Yeah. The, de- the defense in 2009 wasn't great. We we'll, saw we'll, that happen. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss next week. We'll discuss we next week we so will. that we don't have to talk basketball the whole show. Aaron is already his internet. I mean, kudos to him. Yeah, he made it. He made it almost to the end. Almost yeah. to the end. A lot. A lot. But and now and now he's gone. Yeah, sometimes he bows out. He you know, de- I think the he declared the, the yes, he did. He did. Wow, very oh. good. I see there. No, there's no there's no opting back in. Oh, did he he pulled a mamadou? Yeah, he's trying to opt back in. <laughs> but it's let taking him, him the, Should I let him yeah. back? Let him back. All right, we'll let him back. Now Aaron has opted back in. He opted out. He's Mamadou Diara. Now he's opted back in. I don't know how I'm hardwired in and still have issues with <laughs> I hate Cincinnati Bill with everything I have. I thought I hope, someone came in and had to do some laundry or something. I hope they're not a sponsor, Chad, because I hate them with everything that is my being. Oh, that's fantastic. Mom, not laundry right now. I told you. Just right. a little bit longer. Mom, I'm podcasting. It's podcast time. And drinking champagne in, in the laundry room, it's fine. Dr- drinking champagne out of a bottle in the laundry room. And podcasting. Oh, well. Oh, well. Wrap well, it up. I'm getting a well, we went, week. we went long again, guys. But, uh, hey, we had to. A lot of things going on. These are these are ninety minute shows now. Like we, when is the last time we did an hour show? We're covering two oh, sports in depth. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I mean, people are listening, so whatever. Next week will be interesting. <laughs> so, uh, yet again, a fantastic close to one of the best. Uh, I'll say it: the best team in Cincinnati football history. Great to close it out. Tough loss, but still really represented themselves. Basketball team. We're going to continue to talk to them. Talk to Just win, man. They need a win. win. And this week, now I will say it, it will be tough. Two very tough games (laughs) on the road. I will say it. It will be tough. Big of you. It's very big of you. It's very, it is. It's very non Brent, Brent like, but it's, I'm going, I'm going to two of the next five would be nice. I turned a leaf. I turned a leaf, but (laughs) until next week, we'll break down those two wins. Talk about 2009 versus 2020 in football and hopefully be able to let you know who else has opted back for next season on the team. But for now, for Aaron Smith, Chad Brendel, I am Brent Young. Yet again, this was the BBP on BearcatJournal.com. Have a great week. See ya.